Hello and welcome to The Catch. I'm Matt Hansen, freelance editor with FindBet.com, joined today by writer and contributor for FindBet.com, Brad Mealy, and our resident Ohio State expert and contributor, Brett Ludwizak. Good to be here, guys. Uh, it's always nice to have another uh, face in the in the crowd this week. And Brett, um, I think it's going to be a great show. We got some NBA and some NFL to talk about. Uh, it's kind of crazy how the NBA is just, which seems like a month and a half ago, which really it was, it, the NBA ended and now we're right back into it. So it'll be some good, good stuff to go through. Thanks for having me guys. It's a busy time of year, even with a pandemic going on, there's plenty of sports. You have college football, bowl games, basketball, NFL, and even not, we're not going to touch on it, but even in a few weeks, the NHL is going to start up. So, so yeah, hopefully everybody's having a merry, happy holidays as much as possible. Yes, yeah, certainly happy holidays to all, no matter how you celebrate. We hope that you're having a good holiday season. We certainly all need it after this 2020 year. Uh, it's been different, but sports have been serving as a nice distraction throughout. So, uh, you know, me personally, I appreciate that. But we are bringing you the 15th installment of this series where we will discuss everything going on in the world of sports that we can fit into 60 minutes. Throughout this series, we will cover a range of topics, including sports betting and fantasy, along with keeping up with current events, trade rumors, and more. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at finebet underscore news and on Instagram at finebet, just one word. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching FindBet. You can find all of our newest content on FindBet.com. This week, you can find out who to drop, who to shop, and who popped off in fantasy football in week 15. And later this week, you can find NFL DFS start and sit recommendations, along with betting advice for week 16 of the NFL. And as we mentioned, the NBA season is underway. On Tuesday night, we saw the Nets beat the Warriors 125-99. to Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant combined for 48 points in the win, and we will touch on those guys in just a minute. Uh, but also, we saw the Clippers, who won the Battle of L.A. against the reigning champion Lakers, 116-109. Uh, Paul George led the way for the Clippers with 33 points. Trade rumors haven't settled down around James Harden, and frustration seems to be rising in Houston as news has come out that Harden threw a ball at a teammate during an argument at practice earlier this week. Now, Brett, you might have a little insight into Jason Tate, who was the other player on the other end of that exchange, um, being that uh, you saw him play at Ohio State. Do you think that Tate and, and Harden, and it makes sense that they were kind of having a little scuffle in practice? Yeah, yeah I do. I mean, while he was at Ohio State, you say that Tate was more like sort of like a Patrick Beverly where uh, do a little bit of everything, just a real pest on defense. Uh, so that's not surprising that he got under hardened skin, but I could see a lot of guys sort of getting our hardened skin right now just because he wants out of Houston so bad. He does. Uh, I think he's made it pretty clear. And speaking of things getting under heart and skin, he was also spotted at a strip club. Um, and that news broke this morning. Um, you know, obviously, it doesn't seem like his, his head or heart is in it with the Rockets anymore. At this point, a trade seems inevitable. Um, and that could shake up the entire landscape of the league and, uh, you know, what teams were considering as championship contenders moving forward. Uh, but we get a full slate of action uh, Wednesday night uh, before a one-day respite before the Christmas Day games, which will include 
Zion Williamson uh, and the Pelicans taking on Jimmy Butler and the Heat. We'll get to see Steph Curry take on Giannis Ananacumpo. Kyrie takes on his old team as the Nets and the Celtics will play. Uh, my favorite game on the entire schedule is going to be Dallas versus the Lakers. We get to see Luka versus LeBron. I'm extremely excited about that. Um, and then uh, the last game on the schedule is going to be the Clippers and the Nuggets. Um, so before moving on to some NFL playoff talk, I want to hit on Kevin Durant's interview with Charles Barkley and the NBA on TNT crew uh, after last night's win. We saw Durant be very icy with Charles Barkley um, when Barkley was asking him a question. And I think we can probably assume that that's all relating back to the little, the little fight that Kyrie, his teammate, and Charles Barkley had uh, over the past week where Barkley was kind of commenting on Irving's comments, calling the media pawns and not worthy of his time. Um, Barkley had said about Irving to shut the hell up. Uh, Kyrie Irving is not the smartest guy in the room, um, and that Kyrie Irving uh, only went to college for six months. Uh, the comments originally from Irving, uh, again, they're not pawns worthy of his time. He uh, was fined $25,000 by the league for not meeting media obligations and said he'll continue to pay the fines uh, going forward. Um, just so everybody knows, NBA fines, they go towards uh, charities that are selected by the NBA and the NBA Players Association. Kyrie Irving also had comments noting that he hopes that the money goes towards uh, supporting uh, underprivileged and under-resourced communities, which is a great thing. Um, I want to kind of get into this from your guys' perspective because athletes in the media have always kind of been a point of contention for certain guys throughout history and, and all sports. Um, but the NBA, you know, is kind of a, a league where I believe that the athletes are more brands uh, than in football or in baseball. Uh, I think basketball players are very recognizable. They're very marketable. Um, and utilizing the media as a platform to kind of build their brand um, is something that a lot of guys do very well with. Um, now, guys like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, on the other hand, have always had an icy relationship with the media, um, and it's all kind of coming to a head now, and obviously KD has his boy Kyrie's back. Uh, what, do you, what do you guys make of, of these exchanges? Well, it's Durant, he's, he's had a history of not giving a lot to the media, I, I guess, or just not being really media-friendly. Stunned back from, you know, when he went to Golden State it almost feels like he thinks that the media is picking on him. So he's going to be a little more, a little more cold to them. Uh, but it's tough. I, I'm not in the position to where, you know, I'm getting asked the same questions over and over again. So I could, I could see on, on his end where, you know, he gets a little angry, angry with it. Um, and another thing is sometimes I wonder if they're saying, some of it just to get a rise out of them, you know, get people talking about them a little more. Um, so that's, it's tough to get a full picture on it because you don't know how much of it's sort of already staged in a way, you know, they're like, all right, today, tonight I'm going to go out and, you know, just sort of give these sort of answers when they're asking me just to, just cause I'm not liking what they're saying about me. <laughs> well, and watching the interview for me, you know, I, Kevin Durant went into that interview actively being disinterested and uh, he was actively disinterested throughout the entire interview, not really making eye contact with the camera, turning around at certain points. Uh, you know, the answer to Charles Barkley's question was just a simple, yeah, 
which uh, if you kept watching the broadcast, they went back and kind of made fun of uh, the interview and Charles Barkley's reaction to uh, Kevin Durant's answer. Um, but, you know, the dichotomy of it all is that some of the best NBA moments that we have have come um, at an interview pulpit. Like when Allen Iverson was questioning why we were talking about practice, when Doc Rivers so eloquently talked about his Clippers team playing through the Donald Sterling incident in 2014, to the decision when LeBron decided to take his talents to South Beach, and the letter that James inked when he announced his return home to fulfill his destiny of bringing a championship to Cleveland. Uh, even as recently as this year, where the media and social media platforms have allowed NBA players and athletes to speak out against social injustice, the media and sports have always been connected in a very unique way. So it's it's interesting because, uh, you know, Brett, one of the things you had mentioned, and Brad, feel free to chime in, <clears throat> you know, we're, we all go to work, you know, we've all had jobs, you know, we clock in, we clock out, we do what we have to do and we're there. Um, but, you know, when we clock out, we don't have a bunch of cameras and microphones in our face asking us how our shift went. Um, you know, if you have a bad day uh, and, and you had a lot of bad days throughout the course of the season, um, and, you know, and you're getting asked questions that are maybe even not even relevant to the, the sport that you're playing uh, or the job that you're doing, you know, I think anybody would be kind of apt to blow up at some point. Uh, would, would you guys agree about that? Yeah, I think that if you see – I think there's a little bit on both sides of it. I think that you're right. The NBA players are worried about their brand probably the most about of any professional athlete. Mm -hmm. And you get a little bit from both sides of the media and also the players. So you've got, again, you're right. You bring up a good point. Players aren't asked, uh, are under a microscope basically. So when we come home from our jobs, we don't have media in our face. We don't have people that, but also when we come home from our jobs, we're not making a million dollars a game or however many <laughs> million dollars these athletes are making. So you kind of have to look at it through both sides. That This is a little bit of part of their job description. You get to play basketball for a living and, and that's awesome. You're one of the best 1% of the players on the planet that are playing this game, but you also have players that kind of maybe egg on the media a little bit and you have media as well that, that go for those clicks and, you know, if you see a media person ask a stupid question or ask a question that creates controversy, what's everybody talking about the next day? You're talking about Charles Barkley, or you're talking about yeah. somebody from the New York post or, uh, and how ridiculous that is. And look how many clicks that he gets on his article and his profile. And so I'm wondering how much of it is just a little bit to stir the pot to generate interest or generate some exposure and, and how much of it actually is just genuine questions when it comes to that and another thing too it's some of the not necessarily Charles Barkley because you know he's one of the most famous NBA players even commentators you know over the years you know players know how to deal with him and you know his sort of stick on that but you know you look at some of the other maybe more local media like you take somebody like the Cleveland Browns and they have, you know, Tony Grossi asking them questions who, you know, just asking terrible questions. The you know, worst. You Tony Grossi is awful. Yeah. You can see how those players would get very prickly when they have to deal with that idiot asking them questions in there. But with just with Durant, perspective, Tony Grossi is the Cleveland beat writer that has since Baker Mayfield has been drafted to the Browns has been crapping all over Baker Mayfield. And still to this day, I'm sure is crapping on Baker Mayfield. So. And he, he only does it because he knows that people are going to are gonna 
talk about what he his stupid questions that he asked and th they'll be talking about him even though they'll be you know making fun of you know how awful he is but <laughs> his whole thing is they're still talking about him you know that's the thing about it <laughs> you know but uh, back to Durant you know and some of it too I wonder is because even they mentioned at the beginning of the interview you know you haven't played in almost 600 days too mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah you know, with that, he's had all this time to sort of hear what the media said, you know, oh, going from Golden State to Brooklyn, and and then everything else has come since then. So it could be some of it that was building up, too. And he's just like, I, you know, I haven't even, I've been here almost a year and a half or two years, and I haven't even stepped on the floor yet. And then th this is what you asked me when I first get out there. So, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's tough. <laughs> Well, the one thing I'm sure about is that Kevin Durant hit up one of his burner accounts on Twitter to go start talking about the incident once he hit the locker room. I'm sure of that. But uh, a question that I have is, you know, I think that as we, you know, progress as a society and as, you know, sports change and the industries change, will we start to see this being something that agents are working into athletes' contracts in the future where, they have stipulations where, you know, uh, my client Kyrie Irving absolutely refuses to do any media obligations and we're not signing with your franchise if we uh, are going to be made to. Is that something that you guys see being possible or is it more so something that the league and the players union will have to work out? I almost think it's some, something that has to do with the league and the players union because when you look at, you know, contracts with teams, teams got the shirt sponsors now in the, in the NBA. So they have even more advertising uh, obligations that they have to work out in there and then say if I don't even know who sponsors and that's sure but whoever their sponsors you know if maybe Durant says something that they don't like you know it's you know you got to keep a lot more people happy when you're getting into that you know even more and more sponsors so it, it's I, it's gonna be tough to actually put it into contracts like that so it it almost feels like you're just gonna have if somebody says something gets fined you're just gonna have to pay the fine at least the fine's going to charity and not to back to the owners <laughs> that's true that's true so it's, i want to get a final opinion from both of you uh kevin durant and kyrie irving you know taking the stand against the media obviously it's important to them um and I, obviously i think that kevin durant is backing up his friend kyrie irving um during that interview so from your perspective are they profits or are they pariahs i think for me i think they they, it's, it's tough to say, I guess, from a profit or pariah standpoint, but it's, I think Brett brought up a good point about sponsors being on the shirts now, because now there's even more, a little bit intertwined with it. And I think that the NBA out of all the leagues, I think has the most freedom. Adam Silver has, has kind of uh, pushed his players to speak their minds, especially on social justice uh, initiatives and those type of things. But there are also things that are a little bit, they walk a line too with some of their, um, some of their views on, you know, what things going on in China and how there was a little bit less talk about what was going on there because of how much money they have invested in, in that side of it and how much of a following they have in that country. So it's, it's a fine line. I mean, if you're going to find a, an athlete for talking about uh, or not doing, you know, what he's supposed to do with the media, but then not, find somebody for talking about something else it's kind of a pandora's box when it comes into it but i think that it's good from a player standpoint that they're allowed to be able to speak their mind and i think that there's some give back and forth with the media i mean if the media is gonna just 
slam a guy nonstop for something, why would you go and open up to him in a one-on-one interview if all he's done is just talk, you know, garbage about you in the, in the media itself. So. I don't necessarily think they're prophets, you know, cause I'm not going to sit there and take everything that they say as gospel, but I also <laughs> don't think they're pariahs either because you know, a lot of this is just how they feel. They're in a lot different position than we are. I mean, and then I know Barkley said that, oh, Kyrie only went to college for six months. And it's like, all right, yeah, he still did go to Duke. He's not dumb. You know? It's, you know, he just thinks differently than we do. And there's no problem with that. It's now, if you're going into something, you know, degrading, you know, certain people this way or that, yeah, you know, and saying certain things that are offensive, then yeah, that's a problem. But I mean, all right, Kyrie thinks the air's flat. All right, you know, it's fun to laugh at, but you know, that's how he thinks, you know. All right, I think the world's round. You know, I'm probably right, but, but you know, it's there's you know, it's it's just how he thinks, you know. I'm not gonna sit there and oh, he's a terrible person just because he thinks like that. You know, so I mean it's their opinion and you know as long as it's it's nothing that actually hurts me so it is what it is look if KD and Kyrie can put together a playoff run for this Brooklyn team that there's going to be a lot of flat earthers out there in Brooklyn this year so um you know I agree with both your guys points um I don't think that these guys should be villainized for the way that they feel you know they're going out there and they're performing on the basketball court when they're healthy so I'm just excited to see what they're going to do for the Nets um you know in a relatively weak east even though it's getting a little bit stronger um but when you look over at that western conference man there is just contender after contender there but speaking of contenders I think it's time to move on to some football boys you know we're going into week 16 of the NFL and um, playoff spots are becoming scarce Uh, we have more teams locking up spots last week Uh, for us you know we've got early Christmas gifts uh, you know with the Bills clinching the AFC East and uh, you know guaranteeing their playoff spot uh, and my brownies looking good nothing's for sure yet Um, But the win last week was big. And then also the Bengals taking down the Steelers opened up the door for the Browns to potentially be able to steal away the AFC North this season. So both of us, you know, went into this season, I think, with high expectations for our teams. But I think that both of our teams kind of exceeded them as well. Um, What do you guys think of the Bills season? Just uh, real quick. So I came into the season – it's been on record on Twitter and everything. I wasn't a Josh Allen fan. And <laughs> sort of today I'm getting chilled on it. But whatever. It is what it is. Coming out of high school, excuse me, college, you know, there was you could see there was issues. And he's worked to correct those issues. They got some talent around him. So I'm wrong. It wasn't it wasn't the first, not the first time, not gonna be the last time. Um now what's gonna help the Bills is they're like on defense, they're getting healthier. And yes. Also, just the way the NFL, like, there's really no training camps. Everything was totally different this year. So it's taken them longer to gel, too. So, but they're hitting their, they're hitting their stride at the right time. You know, they're, right now they're in second. Chances are they're going to, you know, the only way they're going to have to take, hit the road is if they have to go play Kansas City in the AFC championship game, as long as the seedings stay the same. So it's a really exciting time to be the Bill, to be a Bills fan. And even though I was a Josh Allen doubter, I, I love wins. 
Brad, uh, speaking of Josh Allen doubters, I think very early on this season and early on in the, the life of this podcast, I was trying to get you on board for Josh Allen for MVP, and you would not jump on. Yeah, it's I, like I said, I mean, I feel like I'm one of the more reasonable sports team fans out of all. I, I don't consider myself a rabid fan when it comes to the Bills. Like, I love the Bills, don't get me wrong, but um, I think that you wanted to see progression from Allen coming into this year. And I think that you have – you. I think with Allen you have more of the exception to the rule than the norm. Very few guys have come into the NFL and have actually improved their accuracy when it comes to um, basically playing better from an accuracy standpoint than they did in college. Absolutely. Now, Allen has a few things that probably made him an outlier that probably – Confuse scouts or maybe maybe cause scouts to miss him. His senior year, he lost his wide receiver one to the NFL, his center to the NFL, he lost a tight end to the NFL, and was not replaced with NFL starting uh, or at least NFL talent on that side. Mm -hmm. So his senior year, he went downhill, and basically he was a guy that had to try to make everything happen for that team. So when you get into the NFL, you have a guy whose mindset is, is hey, I have to do this myself. Um, you know, this is what I'm used to doing. And so he made some hero type ball plays that really just don't work in the NFL. And I think the biggest jump from last year where he kind of put it together a little bit better as a passer, wasn't making those ridiculous decisions anymore to this year is he has, he's taking the easy money. If he's got a guy who's eight or nine yards in front of him, he's taking that eight or nine yards and, and, and living another day. He's not trying to hit the long ball every time. But as we've gotten through this season here, he's gotten more comfortable with actually taking chances down the field. I think – I don't know if this was caught in any type of fantasy-related thing, but he hit Stefan Diggs. I think they were up 35 to 20 or 13 or something like that at one point in the game last Saturday. And Stefan Diggs – he connected with Stefan Diggs for like a 50-yard pass. He called that play in the huddle. He basically told – he called the play. So, like, now he's at a point in this offense – where and he's got enough trust from Brian Dable and the coaching staff that he's calling in his own plays in certain situations. And maybe that was because he was up, they were up big and the game was getting out of hand. But he's got that comfortability. He's got that trust with his players. Um, and they've got talent around him. I mean, Stefan Diggs is going to be a top three wide receiver in the NFL this year just from a stat standpoint because of him and Allen getting together. And I think Brett kind of touched on it a little bit earlier it's more impressive because they didn't have an off season. They didn't have training camp. They had some workouts at different, you know, areas that they had player uh, player um, got together on their own to do that. And so that, that makes it more impressive from that. I think the bills are hitting their stride at the exact right time. Their defense has actually gotten better over the last three or four weeks. They're playing some of their best football on that. That leads me to think that they can really beat anybody when it comes down to it, especially in these playoffs. I agree. Uh, and on uh, Tuesday morning, I put out my weekly assist column where this week I kind of just went through how the playoffs are shaping up. And that's before the Steelers and Bengals played on Tuesday night. Uh, and I'd moved the Bills up into second place. That's where I thought they were going to finish anyways. I didn't think that the Bengals were going to beat the Steelers. I thought maybe they were going to pick up a loss uh, to the Colts and the Browns. Um, but I think Buffalo right now, other than Kansas City, is the scariest team in the AFC to be playing. 
Um, Josh Allen just strikes me as the kind of quarterback that you want to have the ball in his hands with two minutes left when you're down. Um, and I don't see many defenses being able to stop him. So I'm, I'm kind of, if the Browns can't make a run, you know, I'm kind of hoping for that Bills and Kansas City matchup just because I think that could be a better game than whoever the Super Bowl ends up being. Um, and, and I don't even think that the Chiefs are quite as invincible as people were thinking. You know, they were maybe the first half of the season because you look at, they're having some injuries right now. And the Bills have already played them, so they know what they're going to throw at them too. So, mm-hmm. I mean, compared to when they played before and to now, you could even make the argument that the Bills are just as good as the Chiefs. The only difference is the Bills will have to go to Kansas City for a playoff game if they do beat. Yeah, and, you know, you're right. Kansas City has looked vulnerable in multiple games in the first half this season. Um, But then it just seems like Patrick Mahomes decides to step out of the telephone booth, put on the cape, and throw for 300 yards and four touchdowns in two quarters. So I'm never counting out Mahomes until otherwise proven uh, wrong. And uh, speaking of Mahomes, his Chiefs, uh, the aforementioned Bills and the aforementioned Steelers have clinched spots in the AFC. The Packers, Saints, and Seahawks have clinched in the NFC. Uh, That leaves four spots remaining in each conference. And um, last week, the teams that added their names to the list of eliminated were the 49ers, Broncos, the Lions and the Patriots. So I wanted to give you guys kind of a little bit of a a chance to kind of talk about the Bills because it seems like most of the storylines coming out of the AFC East last week was that the Patriots will not be in the playoffs this year for the first time in a while. Um, And I just wanted to put some shine on Buffalo because uh, McDermott and and that whole organization, along with being in the front office, has done a fantastic job of turning that franchise around from a perennial 8-8 team to a team that now you're going to have to worry about in the playoffs for a long time to come under the, the regime of Josh Allen. Um, but otherwise, I want to talk about a couple teams on the bubble, and I'd like to get your guys' thoughts on this. Um, another thing that I did in my weekly assist column, guys, other than moving the Bills into the second seed in the AFC, was projecting the Ravens to end uh, up in the seventh spot, which would put them against your Bills in the first round of the playoffs. Now, right now, the Dolphins are ahead of the Ravens on tiebreaker. Both are 9-5, and five, but Baltimore has the more favorable schedule going down the last two weeks. Uh, they'll get the Giants and the Bengals in 16 and 17, while Miami will have to play the Raiders, who are my Jekyll and Hyde of the season, where at certain weeks they can look like they can beat anybody as they handed Kansas City uh, a loss this year. Um, but they've also looked pretty bad. But then they also get Buffalo in week 17. And Buffalo may be resting players at that point, depending on what happens, um, you know, if they can go up or down in seeding. Um, but if they're going at full strength, you know, that's a pretty tough matchup for Miami. Um, so I think that Baltimore is going to slip into that seven seed. What do you guys think? Well, I think I think Baltimore could have even has a chance to move up just because of how weak their schedule is the rest of the way. Um I almost feel like it's going to be Miami sort of in that seven seed. Um, Especially I feel like if the bills have pretty much clinched as much as they can, I mean, you'll see just backups in there, not give it, not give the dolphins anything to see or risk anybody to injury there too. I feel like the bills would like their chances a little better against the dolphins because you'd probably have a rookie quarter. You know, you'd probably have two going up against them. I, Two is going to be a lot easier to handle than Lamar Jackson and his ability yes. to run the football. So, yeah. personally, I'd like to see Miami more than Baltimore. Baltimore doesn't like 
you know, scare me by any means, but I think they're a little more dynamic. Um, and then they'll also, where they've struggled, it was more when they were dealing with COVID. Now they're getting beyond that and getting healthier at least. So that puts a little more worry about the Bills playing Baltimore. Um, that's just gonna be a little more reason for pause. Yeah, I think that for me, I think a couple of the, there's a couple of different scenarios. I think Buffalo can lock up the two seed this week if the Colts beat the Steelers. And I believe if the, there's one other scenario that they, oh, if Tennessee loses to Green Bay and Buffalo beats New England. So you got three things Buffalo beats New England, Pittsburgh loses to the Colts, and Tennessee loses to Green Bay, which are all, I would say, all in the greater than 50% chance of happening. The Steelers look terrible yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, so if that happens, and now the Bills have locked up the second seed, and doesn't matter, they can rest their starters in against Miami in, in week 17. And that gives Miami, in my opinion, the clearest path to getting into that last seed because the Ravens are playing the Giants and the Bengals, which are very winnable games for both of them. The, but Miami, what Miami has to do is they have to beat Vegas this week for any of that, really, that chance to happen. Because if the Ravens beat um, – if the Ravens beat the Giants and beat Cincinnati, then Miami's done. So Miami has to lose out or basically win out mm -hmm. for that to happen. And the greatest chance of that happening is if Buffalo is resting their starters in week 17. Um, and that, then that turns into possibly Buffalo playing Miami in week 17 and then I'll turn around and playing them again in week 18. Miami would be coming up to Buffalo two weeks in a row, uh, once for the end of the year and once for the playoffs. And that's an interesting spot to be in where Buffalo, you know, if they are able to pull off uh, the win and get those other things to work and lock up the number two seed, um, you know, if I'm Sean McDermott, I'm looking at it like I'm resting all my starters. I'm not risking anybody. We don't need the game. And Miami would if they are able to get the win against the Raiders this week. So they're going to throw their best shot. So at that point, you can take that loss, not hurt yourself in the playoffs, and you're going to see your playoff opponent – all their best stuff the week before you got to play them when you're going to reinsert your starters. I much would rather see the Dolphins if I'm the Bills because Lamar Jackson's finally looking like Lamar Jackson again. Um, and, uh, you know, that's just not somebody I want to see in the playoffs. Unfortunately, I think the Baltimore is going to get in. Um, I think that they will be the Bills number or, or the first round opponent in the playoffs. And, um, and that's a problem. But let's move on to the NFC. Uh, as on the bubble watch in the NFC, the Cardinals currently are outpacing Chicago by a single game. Minnesota would need some Christmas miracles in order to, to hop a couple teams to slip into the seventh. Um, if Arizona loses out and the Bears win out, Chicago would overtake them to take the seventh seed. <laughs> to get a little bit more confusing, if Arizona goes one and one and the Bears went out, They'll be tied in record, and it will go to tiebreaker in conference wins among common opponents, which there are four. Um, but Chicago would win that tiebreaker. Um, so if the Bears go one and one, they need the Cardinals to lose out and a bunch of other stuff to happen that I'm not going to get into because it'd be even more confusing than what I just said. But essentially, uh, those are the three teams that we're looking at um, kind of being on the bubble there. Uh, what do you guys think is going to happen in the NFC kind of based on who they have opponent-wise? Um, and then we'll get to the NFC East after because at this point, everybody in the, in the NFC East is still eligible to uh, get to the playoffs by winning the division. Well, my first thought is you look at Chicago. Now they get pretty much a layup against Jacksonville this week. And then they might be playing a Green Bay team who they could 
be resting their starters and the depending how the number one seed you know where that stands going going into week 17 there so i mean you could get you know two wins right there arizona's a little little sketchier they're gonna have um they have San Francisco this week who, you know, who's going to – C.J. Beathard is going to play quarterback, and they just signed Josh Rosen. So, I mean, you can tell <laughs> that's an issue. And then ne- then the next week they have the Rams, and the Rams are one of the most schizophrenic teams in the NFL right now. So, yeah. they're a little tougher to get a handle on. Brad, what do you think? Yeah, I think that if you're looking at just from – like if I'm going with my gut, I think Arizona is probably the best – candidate to pick up that last spot um but the bears have a chance obviously they play against jacksonville um and then like brett said you know green bay could be have locked up that one seed by the time week 17 rolls around and they get jordan love and you know the packers second stringers although i think the packers second second stringers are going to be a handful for that bears defense anyway um and this could be maybe the jordan uh love coming out game with uh, and then maybe there's a real QB controversy in Green Bay. Um, <laughs> but I, I think if you're going to go with a gut, Arizona probably should win this week. Chicago should probably win this week. So then it goes down to their final uh, opponents. And I like Chicago against Green Bay's backups more than I like Arizona against the uh, Rams. Just like we had talked about, like the Rams are, really good one week and then they're going to give the Jets their first win at home, uh, you know, in LA uh, the next week. So uh, it's one of those, if I'm, you know, gun to my head, basically I'm going to take the bears, but Arizona definitely has a legitimate shot at coming in and, and uh, stealing that seven seat away. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to have to agree. I, I think I'm going to take the bears in there too, just based on all of those factors. Um, you know, Arizona has been really good at times. We just saw Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts uh, have a, a, a duel for the ages, uh, both putting out fantastic performances uh, last week. <clears throat> but we've also seen Kyler Murray struggle a bit uh, of late, uh, similar to Russell Wilson. And also Kenyon Drake has never really provided the type of running support uh, that, that everybody was expecting him to. We've seen Chase Edmonds kind of sneak into some more playing time. Um, so I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't love Arizona's chances and the Rams are going to have more to play for week 17 than Green Bay is. So I'm, I'm, I'm leaning Chicago just because David Montgomery has been really good lately, uh, which we'll talk about him in a little bit when we get to some fantasy stuff. Um, and then also, you know, they're, they, 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 they've just been good enough uh, of late. And after a five and one start, they kind of hit a skid in the middle of the year. So we know that they can put wins together. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with Chicago too. Um, is there anything else you guys want to touch on in regards to playoff picture before we kind of move on to some fantasy stuff? Well, I think w- one thing before we go, we got to talk about how terrible the NFC East is going to be. I mean, who's going to be the team now? Uh, we touched a little bit about it earlier in it, but, you know, Washington right now is is in the driver's seat, but you've got Washington and, and the Giants who are neck and neck right now and uh, Dallas and Philadelphia who Dallas has two um, division games left in Philadelphia and the Giants, and um, Philadelphia plays Washington too. So that, in the last two weeks here, that division could be completely turned upside down with how things are looking, uh, especially with the Giants playing Baltimore this week. That's definitely a tough, tough matchup for them. And, I mean, Washington's intriguing just because of their defense, but on offense, it's where do they go? I mean, you're probably not going to see Dwayne Haskins 
play after <laughs> what, he, what he did earlier this, you know, on Sunday night. Um, Alex Smith, you know, it seems like every time you see him even running around, you hold your breath because, you, you know, I remember in the Pittsburgh game where he had the, it looked like he had the bloody sock and I'm like, oh, oh no, it's, you know, they're going to have to take him off in there. So, I mean, if Alex Smith plays, at least he has that. He has that veteran demeanor where he can at least almost almost like a Trent Dilfer in a way, you know, rely on the defense and then do just enough for the team to win. So I like Washington, and especially being an Ohio State guy, you know, Chase Young's a monster, and then Terry McLaurin too. So it'd be yeah. good to see those get those guys get in the playoffs. I'm not so high on the Giants, especially because. I don't know where Danny Dimes stands in terms of his groin, hamstring injuries, all that. And then Colt McCoy, are you really going to trust Colt McCoy? I mean, to, to be able to lead this offense into the playoffs. And then how long is their issues on their coaching staff, the COVID issues going to uh, linger? You know, is Jason Garrett going to be able to be the offensive coordinator this week or do they have Freddie Basements back? <laughs> Freddie Kitchens called a, uh, a gem of a game against his old team in Cleveland. And, you know, there should be a rule that if you're not as good as Peyton Manning, that you're not allowed to do line audibles uh, the way that Colt McCoy was throwing them out um, in that Giants-Browns game, because it's just wasting a lot of time to end up doing nothing. Um, yeah, I don't like the Giants' chances either. I think Washington is going to get it. You know, it's a lot of it's predicated on them getting a healthy Antonio Gibson back. Uh, but J.D. McKissick did a, a decent job at filling in last week for them. Um, I just look at all these teams and, you know, they're all pretty bad. You know, it, it seems like Jalen Hurts came in a little too late probably, um, but you never know. I mean, I have no idea what to make out of this East. Thank you, Brad, though, for reminding me to cover it. Uh, but, you know, I just, my mind automatically thinks NFC East. I, I don't want to talk about it. So, but I, one other thing about Washington is they, what I like about them is they don't, they won't give up. I mean, you look at the Pittsburgh game when they were down like 13 nothing or something like that, and they came back and won that game. Even against Seattle, they got down, and they at least came back to make it a game. So yep. at least they do have that where, they're you know, at the first sign of adversity, they're not, they're not going to pack it in. Where, you know, like a Dallas, I sort of feel like the first thing goes wrong, and they're just, you know, they're just done. Um, Philly, I mean, they've shown a little more resiliency with Jalen Hurts lately. But even with that, I don't know if I can trust a rookie quarterback to be able to lead him in the playoffs. And especially with, I'm still not, I mean, he played a great game, but as more tape comes out on him, you know, teams are going to know how to stop him a little more. Yeah. And speaking of Jalen Hurts, you know, let's move on to some uh, fantasy stuff. You know, a lot of people, if you've been lucky enough to reach your fantasy championships in your home league, uh, this week is the week. Um, so let's cover some players that are trending up, some maybe some targets to look at that might be out there on the wire. A lot of these guys are probably already on rosters. But uh, Jalen Hurts, if he's for some reason not picked up in your league and you need a quarterback, uh, he's going to give you some passing and some rushing. Uh, last week he had over 400 yards of combined offense and four touchdowns against Arizona. Um, really quick on Hurts, you know, let's, let's talk Hurts and Wentz and just kind of see what you guys think. Uh, you're going to see next year from Philadelphia and also uh, did the move save Doug Peterson's job or do you think Doug Peterson's still on the way out and maybe a new regime uh, that includes Jalen Hurts as quarterback is going to be what we see in Philadelphia in 2021? Well I think from a cap perspective there's no way that Philly can cut him and be in any type of good cap shape 
going into 2021 or move on from him? And then are you going to pay your backup quarterback 20 plus million dollars a year? He, I'm just thinking that this is probably more of a lost season and the Doug Peterson says, Hey, we're going to see what we have in Jalen hurts, even though that the division is still within reach. I mean, Anybody who wins the NFC East is a one and done, basically. They're going to be eliminated in the first round by the five seed. Um, so when you look at that, yeah, is it going to be an interesting offseason for Philadelphia? Absolutely. But I think that just from a standpoint of practicality, Carson Wentz is going to be there for 2021. So um, I think that unless you trade him, even if you trade him, you're going to eat a ton of dead cap just because of that and the way that that contract is structured. So there's really no any type of out until 2022. So Doug Peterson, I think, is there next year. I think Howie Roseman is going to allow this season to kind of go through. I mean, they had a ton of injuries as well, so you can kind of chalk it up to that. Um, All I can say is I don't foresee Hurts being the starter next year. Um, but I foresee Wentz's leash being short next year. I think that Wentz gets his job back, but I think the Eagles organization wants to see some type of off-season plan for him and or some type of progress going into the the 2021 season. Brett, what do you think? Hurts or Wentz in 2021? I almost feel like just with how much you're having to pay Wentz, you got to play him. Um, it hurts, I guess, with the – you, you're going to need more seasoning, I guess, with him. I mean, he's shown some great plays so far, but you know, it's the NFL is ever evolving too. So, I mean, the more he's able to take in, the better he's going to be down the road. Now, you can't. I mean, I think his cap hit was like fifty, sixty million for Wentz. I mean, how do you justify putting that on the bench? I mean, it's you. You almost have to go with him. Hope, hopefully, get him off season. Uh, find himself again, you know, re regain some of that from what you saw from when he was first started with the Eagles. But it's just with how much you're paying him, it's just so tough to keep him on the bench for the 2021 season. I get your guys' points. For me personally, I'm trying to get Jalen Hurts out on the field. If I'm involved in the Philadelphia front office, or especially if I'm the owner of that team, um, you know, it, if it's my decision, it's probably going to mean Doug Peterson's not the coach. Um, and I'm bringing somebody in that is going to be on board for Hertz. And also, um, you know, talk about where some landing spots for Carson Wentz, because for me, you know, I look at three teams specifically uh, that probably would benefit one of them being San Francisco, uh, one of them being New England. Uh, and the other would be a tough one because it'd be within the division, um, but Dallas, uh, because we kind of don't know what's going to go on with Dak Prescott. Um, and we also know that Dallas has a very short window to win a championship based on their roster when healthy. Um, and I think Wentz is kind of a good fit at all three of those places. Uh, let me know if you guys have any other spots that you think would be good fits um, that may be workable trade destinations. Um, and also what you kind of think of those uh, three landing spots for someone like Carson Wentz. I think for me, I think I just don't see how the Eagles can trade Wentz and do any other type of move within their organization. Um, I I don't know. I mean, Hertz has been electric and he's definitely provided a spark for them. But how many times have we seen this with quarterbacks before where they've had a few good, a good game stretch and come back and kind of come back down to earth once the NFL figures out and they can't adapt 
to what the defenses are doing to them to take away their strengths. Um, for me, I think it's interesting. It's going to be interesting where Dak Prescott lands this year because I think Dallas is probably now more than ever ready to make a push to sign him. But like we've talked about in previous podcasts, what's the price going to be for Dallas to sign Dak? Mm-hmm. And then how, do every, how does everything else shake out? I think for me what would get really interesting is if the 49ers threw their hat in for Dak and then you've got – now you're looking at trade destinations for Carson Wentz. Does Dallas trade for Wentz and within the division? I don't know if the, that the Philadelphia would make that trade, especially with that rivalry. Um, you've got teams like Jacksonville who are going to have a new coaching staff. You've got Houston who has their quarterback, but they're going to have a new coaching staff. So Detroit, are things going to change with Matt Stafford? Is he going to be traded? Are they going to move on from him? There's just a lot of pieces that have to come together from it. Um, I just don't see Carson Wentz being traded, and that's just my opinion. I just think from a cap standpoint, it's just not going to work out for them if that happens. One one place that I find that might be interesting that if they can make it work is possibly depending on what Philip Rivers yeah is if he's done after this year. Um, we all know Philip probably wants to spend more time away from the 85 kids that he has, but you know at some point he's got to retire. Now if any if Rivers goes and Indy could bring him in where he could be reunited with Frank, Frank Reich, who I think they Mm -hmm. worked together in Philadelphia. Now that could be interesting. Maybe he could find some of that, um, some of that better play out of uh, Wentz that you saw earlier in his career. And that would be taking Wentz from a situation playing behind a very banged up offensive line in Philadelphia this year to playing behind possibly the best offensive line in football, um, at least top five. Um, and, you know, it's, it's tough to judge Wentz on this one season because of all the, the external factors of the shortened offseason, being very injured on the offensive side of the ball between offensive linemen, the receiving core, and running backs, and tight ends, actually. You know, everybody's been injured on the offense for the Eagles, so it's kind of tough to gauge. But then at the same time, when Jalen Hurts comes in and looks the way that he's looked, uh, for me personally, it's, it's very tough to want to go back. But I do understand your points, and I do understand, you know, the financial obligations that they already have made to Carson Wentz. But uh, you guys are right in thinking, you know, it's going to be very interesting offseason in a lot of ways. The Cowboys really intrigue me. You know, I know that the Eagles have running backs, uh, but Miles Sanders has yet to really prove that he can stay healthy. Uh, there's one chip that uh, people might be thinking is off the table that I think will be on the table once uh, – the free agency and trade season opens and that's Ezekiel Elliott. I don't think that, that the Cowboys are looking at him the same way anymore after seeing some of the production we've seen from Tony Pollard um, this season. Uh, just last week against San Francisco, he had over 130 yards of total offense, two touchdowns, including six receptions out of the backfield. Um, you know, those are numbers you expect to see from Ezekiel Elliott. Um, but we really haven't. Uh, we've seen more fumbles, uh, from him this year than exciting plays and Tony Pollard has looked, you know, pretty good and he's still on a pretty cheap contract compared to Zeke's contract. Um, but Brad, why don't you tell me about Tony Pollard, what you think about what I said and maybe a couple other fantasy booms and we can kind of go down to some bust from there. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely Tony Pollard had a great week this week, over 130 yards of total offense, two touchdowns against the 49ers. Um, he was a guy that if you were hurting at running back and you were lucky enough to get him on waivers and plug him in, he definitely overproduced for you and possibly pushed you into the championship or on to the next round if you were in consolation. Um, David Montgomery, man, he's just been Mr. Consistency over the last 
four games. It's like Char- it's it's. Yeah, I was gonna say Charles Nagy. That was that's that's a that's a blast from the past. But Matt Nagy um, has finally kind of realized that like, hey, like we need to be a running football team because we don't have quarterbacks that can throw the ball all over the place. And it, it, you could see it there with with Mitch Trubisky throwing a red zone interception at the end of the game last week. Like, just run David Montgomery thirty times a game. He can handle it. And obviously, he's been. Um, very good for the Bears the last uh, four games and been very good for fantasy owners as well. Ryan Tannehill had a huge week, three touchdowns through the air and two on the ground, um, pretty much pushing guys um, into the fantasy championship if you started him. Um, We had a guy in our dynasty league who started Jalen Hurts over Matt Ryan and ended up pushing him into the finals by two points because of that. If he would have started Matt Ryan, he would have lost by three points. So um, definitely uh, Hertz was, we've had quite a bit of discussion on him. He's been a big fantasy boom as well. Um, and then transitioning into the fantasy bus. I mean, uh, for me personally, and I'll just touch on the first one here, Mari Cooperman was a huge letdown this week, only nine yards of offense um, with Dallas uh, playing this week. And it was just brutal. Oh, I needed probably maybe 10 points out of him and 10 more points out of Russell Wilson. And I'd be sitting in the finals this week, but it just wasn't meant to be from that point. And Cooper has been such an up and down year. I think he was, he's had some good weeks, even without, um, you know, after Dak Prescott got injured. So it's been a tough to kind of gauge what he's going to do, but by far this was one of his worst weeks and came at probably one of the most inopportune times for fantasy managers this week. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. And, you know, the inconsistency, you know, obviously can be related back to the injury of Dak Prescott. But uh, it has been an up-and-down year for Cooper after a fantastic year last year. Um, Brett, why don't you hop on some more of the fantasy busts that we saw from last week? And um, why don't you start with TJ Hawkinson? Because he's someone that I was really excited about uh, to start the season out. It looked like he was going to be a primary red zone threat. Um, And – you know, whether it's opportunity or, you know, just happenstance, it seems like a lot of those opportunities to score have dissipated for him in that Detroit offense. Yeah, you would have thought that he he was going to have a big week last week, especially going against the Titans team that hasn't been great against the pass. Um, And with the – Detroit doesn't really have many healthy weapons. You know, Marvin Jones had a big day, but you would have figured that TJ would have gotten a lot of targets down down near the red zone there. I even took Hawkinson in some daily fantasy contests and I was traveling back from Ohio to New York and I pull up the scores and I see he had like negative points and I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) so, but that, that was a big disappointment. Um, And another one who had a tough day last week was Robbie Anderson. Uh, Actually it was on Saturday night when they played green Bay. Um, DJ Moore, you know, he's been, he's been banged up. So you figure Anderson would get more targets, but he only had two catches for 21 yards uh, against the Packers. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially that Carolina offense where McCaffrey's injured. I know they have Mike Davis running the football, but he didn't have a hundred yard game coming into that game. So you figured that Teddy would have had to go through the air a lot and Robbie just wasn't able to pull many catches down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, Moore went into that game with a, you know, status was kind of questionable. You know, I, I had sat him in one of the one of my leagues that uh, I was in the playoff matchup, and, and it would have helped to end up having Moore in there. 
But, uh, but yeah, I was expecting Anderson to have a good game. You know, we've seen him have big weeks and, and have a bit of a rapport with Teddy Bridgewater throughout the season. So that was a big disappointment. Another disappointment that really is good for me in my dynasty league, but no, not good for the majority of owners that took Kenny and Drake. Um, Chase Edmonds seems to kind of be eating into Drake's value as Edmonds uh, is becoming more involved in the passing game there and getting some more red zone opportunities just because of his ability to come out of the backfield and, you know, be a problem for defenses. Um, so Drake, you know, it limits his touchdown uh ceiling and um you know it's somebody that if i'm in a, a championship matchup this week and i have drake on my roster and i have someone else that i'm thinking about you know i'm i'm having to pause before thinking about putting drake into my starting lineup if you guys have him and you're in a championship game this week are you playing Kenyon drake that's I'm, tough yeah, i'll let you go brad <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that's tough because Edmonds has I, I don't I don't know. I, it's hard to trust any Arizona running back with the way Cliff Kingsbury kind of runs his offense. Uh, Drake had kind of built some stability the last few weeks, but um, Edmonds seemed to be the guy last week when things were, you know, when they needed yards or when they were going to him in crunch time, he seemed to be what they wanted. And um, if you have a better option than Drake, I think I'm going away from Drake. That's just me personally. And I'm, in some of the Cardinals games I watched earlier in the year, um, someone Drake was hurt and couldn't play, and other ones when he was playing. I just, whenever I saw Chase Edmonds, it seemed he was he um, had a better handle on the offense. It seemed like he was making more plays. Um, Drake, I know he had that huge close of the season last year that got him another contract with the with the Cardinals there. But Edmonds has impressed me more the whole year than Drake has. So, I mean, if, if I had another option that I definitely would be starting up just because my, my stock on Drake's a little lower than um, just even going in. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Uh, you know, I'm really hesitating on Drake at this point. You know, he's the type of back that he's your traditional bell cow that I think he needs to get touches to kind of get into the flow of the game. Whereas Chase Edmonds is that guy who can kind of plug and play and he's just kind of like a, um, you know, a microwave um, ready to come in and heat up right away. So I think he fits better in that offense because Brad, as you mentioned, you know, with, with Kingsbury's offense, it's really pass driven, really driven off of the athleticism and the decision-making of Kyler Murray. Um, so that means, you know, there's going to be just table scraps for the running backs, but, uh, but Kingsbury is going to expect those guys when given the opportunity to be producing, um, which Drake has struggled to do in, in limited reps this year. Um, but, as we mentioned, you know, if you're in your fantasy championship game, you're still looking at guys that you can kind of pick up. Um, not that all these guys are going to be available, but they might be. Um, it's kind of hard to tell this late in the season, kind of who's going to be on a waiver wire for you. Um, but with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire uh, in Kansas City, a little banged up, Le'Veon Bell has the opportunity to kind of step into a larger role. Um, Antonio Gibson, as we had mentioned earlier in the show for Washington, um, I know we had seen reports that he's expected to be back this week, but um, I still haven't seen any confirming reports. Uh, that would drive J.D. McKissick's value up if he's still on the wire. Greg Ward, you know, Jalen Hurts, I think, makes the Eagles at least fantasy relevant, and Ward is their best option um, slotted out at receiver at this point. Um, I know that he's traditionally been slept on even since last year when he kind of stepped onto the scene uh, late in the year. And then Tony Pollard, as we had mentioned, I doubt is going to be available on any wires, but uh, if for some reason he is, um, you know, I don't think Zeke I could see Zeke kind of being out the rest of the year just because. Um, so that would give Tony Pollard an opportunity to kind of 
see what he can do in a primary role for a couple more games, uh, which I think would behoove the Dallas organization. Um, but those four guys that I touched on, what your guys' thoughts on them? And then also, if you have anyone you want to add, uh, feel free. Um, Brett, take it away. So I, I like Pollard, obviously, you know, with that. The, the Cowboys, they got, let's see, they got Philly this week. So Philly's, Philly hasn't been great against the run. So, I mean, you could see him have another big game on there. Um, Tannehill, oh, am I looking at the right? <laughs> sorry. Uh, okay, sorry. Um, so, yeah, Greg Ward, he gives, you know, he's been, he had those two touchdowns last week, like you said. I mean, it seems like him and Hurts are building a rapport on there. And then with Le'Veon Bell, you know, that thing where he's going to get more touches and he has that experience too. One guy that I'm going to add that, you know, he might not be out on the waiver wire, but maybe you have him on your bench and you haven't been playing him. We might want to stick in this week. It's Leonard Fournette because uh, Ronald Jones missed last week. Doesn't sound like he's going to be playing this week. And it Detroit's pretty just terrible on defense overall. So, you know, he scored two touchdowns last week and I could see him going for another, you know, touchdown or two this week against the Lions where while Tampa mainly wants to pass the football, I could see them giving it to Fournette more just because they should have a relatively easy time with the Lions. Yeah, I, I kind of echo those same things. I think for me, if I'm going to target one of these guys this week, I think Le'Veon Bell is probably rostered in most leagues, but obviously he would be number one on the list. Um, Jeannie McKissick, he's been nothing but consistent. I don't continue to don't know why they pass him the ball so much through the passing game. He had nine catches last week, I think. So um, he's definitely a PPR monster when it comes to uh, scoring in what would be considered, you know, a lower profile offense, especially if, if they're down uh, two to three quarterbacks, like they've been, um, you know, Pollard, I think is a good target as well. Um, like you said, Philly hasn't been as effective against the run. Um, so he, and Zeke, I think, I'm not sure if Zeke just kind of checked out from this year. So, you know, the Cowboys obviously aren't going anywhere. Um, so Pollard would be a, a definitely a good play as well. One guy that I will add to the list um, is going to be a Cleveland Brown. So it's a Homer thing, but I think it's good, you know, just all around. And it should be somebody that should be available in most leagues. Um, and that's Donovan Peoples-Jones. Um, Baker Mayfield is starting to throw the ball more to him in the past game. And just kind of watching him over the past few weeks, he's getting more and more trust in Peoples-Jones. And Peoples-Jones is someone that can bust a big play. Uh, now they're playing the Jets this week. And I expect the Browns to, you know, put up some points, you know, regardless of a win or not. And uh, the good thing about Jones is if your league scores individual uh, position players, including their return yards, uh, Peoples Jones is also a primary returner for the Browns. So you'll be getting some extra points there. But I just have a feeling uh, kind of similar to my feeling that the Bengals were going to give Pittsburgh a run uh, on Tuesday night. I just have a feeling that you're going to see a big play from Donovan Peoples Jones this week. Uh, so that'd be someone that I would just kind of throw the name out there. He's probably still floating on the waiver wire, uh, even though the first transactions for the week have gone through now. Um, but that would be my recommendation. But uh, that pretty much wraps up everything that I wanted to talk about sports wise. You know, we are on the precipice here of Christmas and I just kind of wanted to ask you guys real quickly uh, what your favorite Christmas movies are. So uh, if you had to pick a Christmas movie to watch on Christmas Eve, uh, you know, with the, the gifts all under the, the tree and getting ready for Christmas day, Brett, what are you watching? 
So when I was younger, I loved the a Christmas Story marathon on TBS, but now I've sort of gra- I've seen that about a thousand times. So I've graduated onto Bad Santa. It's, it's <laughs> graduated as a perfect of, term for it. Yeah, I mean it, the humor of it is just Billy Bob Thornton's grave in it. Um, you guys want some sandwiches? You know, <laughs> just so many, just so many jokes like that, and uh, so it's just. I guess as I become just sort of a raunchy adult, you know, the Pat Santa just resonates with me there. So I, that's going to be, have to be my favorite. And Billy Bob Santa is probably the best Santa to represent 2020. So that's, that's a great answer. And, and that's what I envision Santa coming to all the, the houses, dropping down chimneys, just looking like Billy Bob. And how great is Bernie Mac in that movie too? Bernie I mean, Mac is always great. Rest <laughs> in soul, rest in peace. One of the greatest comedians of all time. Uh, Brad, what do you? What about you? What about you? What are you going to be watching uh, late at night on the twenty fourth? For me, it's got to be Christmas Vacation. I think that's just—it's always been my favorite. Um, you only got—you know—you watch it once or twice around Christmas, and that's my go-to for that. Yeah, I God, it was really hard for me to choose between that and Home Alone. But since you said Christmas Vacation. And I don't know if everybody considers Home Alone a Christmas movie, but we do in our house. And we know that it's one of the ones on constant rotation because my girls love it. Um, So I'm going to go Home Alone, but I think Bad Santa, Christmas Vacation, and Home Alone. I mean, that's like, that's a triple threat that can rival Dwayne Wade, LeBron, and Chris Bosh. So I think that we had some pretty good answers that we brought to this. Um, But that's all the time that we have for this week. I want to thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching FindBet. Go to FindBet.com to check out all of our newest content this week where you can find out who to drop, who to shop, and who popped off in fantasy football, DFS lineup recommendations, and betting advice for week 16 of the NFL. Remember to follow us on Twitter at FindBet underscore news and on Instagram at FindBet just one word to know when all of our new content hits FindBet.com. Also keep an eye out for the NBA streams uh, on our social media accounts on Saturdays uh, and also Sunday Slay that we'll be doing uh, with Ariana and Ashmir Prasad coming up here. So keep an eye out on our socials to know when all that's happening. Um, Brad and Brett, I want to give you uh, the floor to kind of have any parting words of wisdom for our audience. Uh, you can make it sports related, Christmas related, or anything that you want. Brad, why don't you go first? I think for me, like, uh, it's just going to be an exciting week for sports. The NBA is back and like, we can finally get the NBA on Christmas Eve and Christmas day, which is awesome. So it's kind of always been a highlight for me is, um, you know, back when the Cavaliers had LeBron and Kyrie, you know, they were for sure to get a game on one of those days. So it was exciting for that. And, you know, kind of gives a little bit of normalcy back to the schedule. Um, NHL is coming back in January, which is exciting. So, um, and MLB is, seems like they're on track to, to get a, a season started in April, as long as the vaccine continues to, to kind of progress. So um, just more excited to watch the Bills play again uh, on Monday night. So they play the, the Patriots and it'd be kind of nice to just put a, put a stamp on a great season for them if they can sweep two from the Patriots, especially in prime time. So those are the, what I'm looking forward to this week and just looking forward to spending some time with the family and, and enjoying the holiday. And for me, after what has been a dumpster fire every year for everybody, I'm just hoping that everybody listening is able to enjoy the rest of the year with their family and wishing 
a lot better 2021. And one of the, what I want to end on on this is since we're recording this on the 23rd, I have to say Merry Festivus to everybody. So <laughs> if, you, if you follow me on Twitter, you can find out all these problems that I have with you people and you're going to hear about it. So, <laughs> um, you know, especially more fitting, you know, especially fitting this year since we lost Frank Costanza. So got to celebrate Festivus even harder. One of the greatest comedians of all time. Just for him, I will be performing multiple feats of strength today. And, um, and that will probably include putting toys together and, and all that good jazz. So, um, but thanks again for joining us on The Catch. Thank you, Brad and Brett, for joining me. It was a fun episode and, you know, the holidays are here. So everybody's in a good mood and, and uh, we're looking forward to Christmas Day and some NBA and seeing what happens with the, the NFL playoff pictures. Just a lot to be excited about right now. So it's a nice distraction and, and we appreciate you for joining us. And I just want to say, may the waivers always be in your favor, my friends. And Merry Christmas, you filthy animals.